Hey now, welcome into the State of Combat. This is your WWE Royal Rumble Instant Analysis Edition. And yes, folks, the voice that you hear, you know it's the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. On the other line, Blackjack Crosby. We're here just minutes after the end of the Royal Rumble with your instant analysis for the show. We're going to break down everything that happened on Sunday night, WWE's first pay-per-view of 2020, and the road to WrestleMania 36 has officially begun. But if you're hearing uh, the tone in my voice right now, it's not just because it's near midnight on the East Coast. Uh, but, you know, it, I'd be remiss to open the show without noting how emotional uh, of a day this has been, uh, both for me personally um, and for sports fans around the world. Uh, earlier today uh, on Sunday, uh, we lost one of the greatest NBA players of all time, a Lakers legend. Uh, in Kobe Bryant, who's 41 years old. And I don't know that professionally or personally, I've had a stranger day uh, in my life where I was so incredibly sad for three quarters of a day and then completely uplifted over the final five or six hours as we approach midnight. You know, people ask a lot, why we watch professional wrestling, why we love professional wrestling, whether it's WWE, NXT, AEW, New Japan, doesn't matter your brand of choice. But just like any other type of entertainment, you know, wrestling is an escape from real life. Um, there's tragedies that happen to all of us, uh, you know, over the course of our lives, over the course of days, some small, some significantly large. And if you're a sports fan, if you're an NBA fan, if you grew up, you know, over the last 30 so years, like I did, like I know Jack did. Uh, Kobe Bryant was a massive part of your life. And doing the job that we do, being in the position I am in with CBS Sports, um, you know, I had to cover today the, the death of the legend. Uh, untimely, tragic, not just him, certainly, but his 13-year-old daughter, Gigi, as well. Um, and it was tough. Uh, I've never necessarily done something like that before. We cover athlete deaths all the time, unfortunately, as unfortunate as they are, you know, everyone from Muhammad Ali uh, onward. Um, but for Kobe Bryant to die today in, in a way like that uh, affected me emotionally. And I didn't really think when we're midway through the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, bringing this around to wrestling, Jack, I didn't really think I was going to get taken out of it. The show was good to that point. It was entertaining. Um, but what happened over the final three matches on Sunday night uplifted me in a major way. And I come to you now uh, leading this instant analysis podcast with Jack, and Jack's going to talk really soon, I promise you. Uh, but I come uplifted and excited, and my spirits, Jack, have been raised not just in WWE, not just in sports, not just as a professional, just as a person. WWE Tonight did something that most television programs, your reality shows, your you know, sports maybe, but but your reality shows, your dramas, your comedies cannot do. And it completely changed my freaking mood on a dime as we approach midnight on the East Coast. And if you wonder why I'm a wrestling fan, uh, moments like tonight, the final three matches, especially of tonight, the way they were able to affect my mood, change my disposition, these are reasons why. So you, Jack, growing up in Pennsylvania, certainly Kobe Bryant mm -hmm. from Philadelphia. Um, Funny story about that, too, I have. Yeah, I, I can't imagine how, you know, today affected you. And, and guys, we're going to talk, guys and girls, 
we will be talking WWE Royal Rumble, but you know, Jack, being a Pennsylvanian, um, you know, what was today like for you and, and kind of how did WWE kind of affect your day? It was surreal because again, funny story in, uh, in 1996, I was in sixth grade. I know I'm old folks, but, uh, I was mm. in sixth grade and my sixth grade teacher was the head coach of the Scranton high school boys basketball team. They had made the playoffs that year and he came to school one day and he told us that the team that they had drawn to play in the state playoffs, lower Marion had this kid that was going straight to the NBA. He said he couldn't wait for it. He said, he even admitted to us, we're probably going to get our asses kicked, but we're going to try our best. They got their asses kicked, but uh, I didn't even realize that at the time, that kid turned out to be Kobe Bryant. And he did. He waxed them pretty good. He waxed everybody. And uh, But that was like my first, ex- where most people's first exposure to Kobe was when he made it, when he made it to the NBA, you know, drafted by the Hornets for a short time. The Charlotte Hornets before he became a Laker. Um, uh, it, uh, this is one of the greatest athletes of our generation that we lost yeah. today. There's no question about it. Um, it's This is not a time to debate where he is on the NBA Mount Rushmore or greater than this. The fact is that Kobe, not just he was, he was probably, if you were to pick a competitor and say he's the greatest of all time, you could definitely rank Kobe Bryant up there because the guy would do yeah. anything to win. He just had that mentality. And the thing I loved about Kobe, like I, uh, when my wife and I, because my wife and I talked about this all day today, and oh, sorry, said uh, drop the microphone there. F it, we'll do it. Not live. a good, Let's not go. a good mic drop. <laughs> not a Let's good. Mic. Um, <laughs> slipped off the desk here. Um, but I, I told her, I said one of the things I loved about Kobe Bryant is. He did what he always felt he needed to do, and he didn't care if it pissed you off or not. He was going to do what was best for him and what was best for his team. And was that sometimes to his detriment? Yeah, but you know what? Looking back now, that's one of the lovable memories I have about him, among many. And yeah, like you said, pro wrestling is an escape. It'll always be an escape for us, especially those of us that have loved the business for most of our lives, we're going to look to. I was happy in a way, looking forward to the Royal Rumble to get my mind off of it. Same. And I'll echo your sentiment, especially the the stretch run of the Royal Rumble tonight. It did a good job of taking me away for a little bit. It really did. And, you know, sometimes we when we do this, especially now in our roles covering WWE and covering wrestling, we're critical and we're analyzing every little thing. Who's entering the Rumble here? Was this a good booking decision? Why did they put the title on this person? And what the Royal Rumble itself, the main event on Sunday night, allowed me to do was just let go and just sit and enjoy something, which we are going to talk about in great detail. Yeah, Come- but Adam, isn't it funny, though, not to interrupt you? Like, you say sure. that, and on a night you say that, they really didn't give us much to critique. No, that's the thing. <laughs> like, we, we, it, was a, it was a night where we needed to let go. And they allowed us to let go based yeah. on their booking. So on that, we are going to transition into talking about the Royal Rumble. But before we do, Jack, you have your signature yingling yes, already, already, uh, cap off. I think a few sips in Silver King. I'm going to crack one right here. Got a little shiner s'mores beer ah. been sitting in the fridge for a little bit. Uh, but this is to Kobe Bryant. Um, certainly his daughter Gigi as well. Uh, thank you for the incredible career, the Mamba mentality that I think 
we can all carry into our lives, uh, always being your best every single day that you live. Um, and with that, we are going to talk the 2020 WWE Royal Rumble, Jack, with a main event that, if I'm being completely honest, you know, I, I tried to scan the memory banks. I tried to do some quick Googling on previous winners and previous Royal Rumbles. But I am not sure, as I sit here right now, that I have ever witnessed a men's Royal Rumble, or really any Royal Rumble, of course, since there's only been, been three women's, uh, that from number one to number 30 has been more entertaining or more well-booked than the 2020 Royal Rumble. We did our results and grades. I gave it an A+. Those do not come out of me lightly, particularly for a Royal Rumble match. Booking such a match is truly impossible. But, Jack, I thought whoever booked this, Vince McMahon, Bruce Prichard, Paul Heyman, maybe all three, uh, you know, down by uh, Vince's pool out there in Stanford, Connecticut, perhaps, uh, smoking the stogies. Maybe they, they took a couple days to come up with this. Whoever the hell came up with this Royal Rumble, it was genius booking. I think I tweeted in the early going, it was fantasy booking for me, especially as we got through the first, uh, let's say, 10 or so combatants in the match. Um, we, let's talk about the result before we kind of break it down a little bit. Ultimately, Jack, Drew McIntyre came out as the Royal Rumble winner. I think we all kind of expected, anticipated, you know, almost LOL seen the booking, but typical WWE that we would wind up with Roman Reigns winning the Rumble. And as we talked about in the Go Home Show, I would have been totally okay with that. Um, it made sense. They built him back up so strongly that Reigns winning, especially had he lost earlier in the show, which he didn't, uh, would have made sense. But I think my mind got changed by the crowd in Houston. When Reigns' music hit, I expected solid cheers. Oh, yeah. There, it was 50-50 again because... I wouldn't it, be that generous. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe it was 25-75 or 33-66, whatever, whatever the numericals. But it was shocking to me because what WWE did, it had booked the Royal Rumble so well until that point that when his music hit, the fans' immediate reaction was, oh, all this was for nothing. And credit to WWE for not doing that. They teased us with it, with Reigns in the final two, with Reigns eliminating Edge, and they gave us a mountaintop moment where they put Drew McIntyre over, not just as the winner of the match, but as the man who eliminated Brock Lesnar. I'll, t I'll be honest with you. If you go back and watch, I'm not kidding. When he came out for the Corbin match and the booze, I turned, I turned to my wife who watches all of these with me. I said, they can't do it. They cannot let him win that Royal Rumble tonight. I didn't I realize. Tell you right now, I didn't can't. notice booze. I didn't. Yeah, notice there were booze. There were audible booze, and that was the first. So the first match of the night was where I said, if they plan on it, they cannot do it because this is going to be a disaster again. Um, now to the Reigns point, we've been talking for weeks, Adam. You and I, and you and I in BC, about how it's okay for Reigns to w win the Royal Rumble because. The end game is him versus the fiend. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Right afterwards, I had an epiphany and I felt like an idiot. And we should probably all feel like idiots because there was one thing we forgot to bring up. To this point, the fiend is the one picking all of his challengers. It Thanks. makes sense. 
the, he is the one going back into his bed. Like we we were making these assumptions, saying, "Well, you know, they're all people from his past, so Roman's going to win the Royal Rumble." When in fact, we didn't realize that it doesn't fit the it doesn't fit the narrative for Roman to win to get that chance. The Fiend has to hand pick him. That that's actually a fantastic point. And in so, ret- in retrospect, it, sorry, continue. It was like the light bulb going off in my head afterwards. I went, "Oh, he picks all of his challengers." Well, in retrospect, now that we've seen the match happen, and even if you had come to that epiphany before, it does make all the sense in the world what you're saying. And I, it almost is a situation where we overthought it, or we assumed we yes. always know what WWE is going to do. They finally built Roman Reigns up, and they're going to have him win the match especially because of the stipulation in this match, not the stipulation per se, but because of the the tweak with Brock Lesnar, the WWE champion, champion opening at number one and having his title not being on the line. We also assumed that whoever eliminated Lesnar would be his clear competitor, his clear challenger at Where WrestleMania with the winner of the Royal Rumble being someone else, effectively allowing WWE to get two number one contenders from a single match. Well, instead, yep. what WWE did, which is what it should always do, is it didn't try to split those up. It doubled down on Drew McIntyre. It gave him the moment of eliminating Lesnar, and it gave him the moment of beating Reigns, who fans did not want to win, especially after eliminating Edge, which was great booking by WWE. And it allowed McIntyre to basically get two major spotlight moments in a single match. It was epic booking. I don't necessarily know... Looking forward a little bit, how a Brock Lesnar Drew McIntyre match is going to play out, how, whether I'm going to like it or not. Um, we all expect that's eventually what's going to happen that McIntyre on Monday will challenge Lesnar, especially considering Lesnar waited so long at ringside after the match staring down McIntyre. But at Sunday night, you know, 1130 when that show went off the air, it was by far the correct booking. And it was the culmination of a match that was booked to perfection. I mean, I would even say, I would even go as far to say that Drew's not going to choose Lesnar. Lesnar's going to choose him. Like, Lesnar's going to make him because, again, that spot at the end was staring him down. He's pissed. Like, Lesnar's going to basically say in one form or another, you don't have a choice. You're facing me at WrestleMania. Well, on Monday night, they could almost do what they normally do where they have the interview and McIntyre starts talking about who he's going to choose. And then Lesnar's music hits, comes out, punches him in the face. You right? have no choice, buddy. Right, you have, Forget you have it. You're, um, no, that was fantastically booked, start to finish. Um, and it, I, I do, I did like how they, they basically started the build to WrestleMania in the middle of the match with Drew eliminating him. Like, it was like they started the build right in the middle of the match. They also, through the booking of the match, and we're con- we started with the end, of course. We concentrated on the end. But the booking of this match was so freaking smart. So a lot of people on Twitter, and I saw some people on Reddit, too. I occasionally browse there during shows. Oh, that's a hellscape. Man. I know. I know. There were, people who, there were people who absolutely loved it, like you and I. Yeah. There were a lot of people that hated it. And I think they all assumed that WWE was going to have him pour through the entire roster and win the match. People, anyone that thought... If they thought that, that, come on. Anyone that thought that WWE's roster looked weak because Brock Lesnar, of all people, was eliminating Elias or Rowan or Rude one-on-one, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. 
because these people are not on the caliber of Brock Lesnar. It takes Roman Reigns and Undertaker nutshots to beat Brock Lesnar. Elias isn't going to come in and last, you know, five minutes with him in the ring. It's not going to happen. So I loved the opening to this match. I thought it was genius that they had him eliminate five guys straight away or four guys straight away and then had Kofi come in and replayed the moment on Fox where he lost the title, had him rush Lesnar, couldn't take him out right away. Then Mysterio, the other guy that he did take out and eventually beat, but he had a struggle with him, come in and they subdue him. And then they have Big E come in, Jack. And my first markout moment of the entire match, well, honestly, the first one was Kofi, but the second real markout moment of the entire match was freaking Big E hitting Brock Lesnar with the big ending. And like I nothing. Like it was nothing. And Jack, they got me. I said, holy cow, this is genius booking. They're going to have Kingston, Mysterio, and Big E eliminate Lesnar. They hit the 619, the Trouble in Paradise, and the big ending. They could have eliminated Lesnar there. It would have been great. And yet they come up with the spot, Jack, of Lesnar propelling himself off of Big E's body and hitting a flying clothesline on Kofi Kingston that, again, was a standout moment in the match. And we're only talking eight dudes in right now. It, it, like, I would look, I mean, you, you guys all know, you, the listeners, I think Brock Lesnar is hilarious. I don't get the. I think the guy is funny as hell. I love it. When he was just one dude after the other, one dude after the other, I was cackling. I said, this is great. This is great television. This is great booking. And, it, and it, it's also a way sometimes with Rumble matches, because they are generally on average an hour. It can get tedious. And yeah, very repetitive. Yep. That was a nice way to just boom, 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 speed things up. Before we knew it, we were at number 13, 14. It's like, okay, I like this. This is good. This is great. Um, Yeah, Big E, man, they keep giving you those flashes. And you just, you, you feel bad for the guy in a way. Because you're like, come on now. Just pull the trigger on something, would you please? He's believable against, he did. He with the ease in which he picked up Brock and threw him on his shoulders was just like, come on, like nobody throws around Brock like that. But for everyone that is complaining about Brock Lesnar, I want you to go back and watch that Royal Rumble match. Mm -hmm. And I want you to go see how many guys in one Royal Rumble match <clears throat> Brock Lesnar put over. And stop with the whining and complaining. about. Look how many guys in that match alone. The Biggest of which was Keith Lee, which conversation for this week, mistake to put that North American title on him. Yeah. Mistake. Yeah. We'll get to that this week. Cause that moment when Keith, the way Keith Lee looked at Paul Heyman as if I'm about to go kick your boy's ass. Watch this. this and all with the now and the Bro Brock's reaction, the, the moment of the night, the gift of the night, which there were a lot of them was Brock looking at Keith Lee and going, who is this mother effort? <laughs> well, that see, that's the thing. This match had phases, Jack, right? So you had the Biggie Kingston uh, Mysterio phase, right? That was the, the serious Brock's going to dominate people. Oh, wait, he's met with some resistance. Then they go went into the second phase, which was almost a comedy phase of the match where Shelton Benjamin came out and he looked like it was he had seen his that brother and he was and he was so happy and they're joking around and obviously he turns on. That was cool. The Nakamura thing, whatever. MVP, when his music hit, and that's a great surprise, MVP, by the way. But Brock's almost back doing the Brock party thing. He's dancing in the ring, vibing with his music, like bouncing up and down. It was really freaking funny. And then they 
oh, he eliminates him and the joking stops and the Keith Lee moment that you're talking about happens. They allow Keith Lee to look like a beast and they allowed him to look that way before Braun Strowman's music hit, which I thought was very smart because it gave Lesnar reason to be going toe-to-toe with Lee and to not eliminate Lee and Lee to not eliminate him because now all of a sudden this third factor got in. So it kept all three of them looking strong. I just thought it was really super smart to go through those first three phases of the match. It was. I mean, the only thing we were robbed of was the moment with him and Matt Riddle. But for those who didn't see, Pro Wrestling Sheet, Ryan Satin's reporting, reporting that Brock and Matthew did meet each other finally backstage at the Royal Rumble. Not for cameras. It uh, it didn't really go all that well. Brock apparently took some exception to the things Matthew's been saying over the last few years, finally getting to meet him face to face. And it, it wasn't pretty, apparently. Well, two things on that. One, no matter what, we must protect Matt Riddle at all costs. We can't let like any scenario where Goldberg and Lesnar team up to get him out of WWE. So that can't happen. Number two, I would not be surprised, and we don't know this for sure. Maybe one day we can learn it. I wouldn't be surprised if Riddle was maybe originally booked to come out. Oh, absolutely. Like, before, like, like before Ricochet or somewhere in there, and they pushed him back in the match. 100%. That was and eliminated and eliminated him quickly as a punishment. Yeah, when Matthew came out, yeah, it, it was almost because look, Matthew has part of he's an exceptional in-ring talent. No one's like he is like we say there is no ceiling for Matt Riddle. But one of the things that has helped him get along in this career so fast is his mouth. So Matthew still believes even though he works for WWE, he can run his mouth. And tonight may have again reports don't know but today may have a less may have been a lesson of you got to bring it back just a tad okay and especially if you I, piss off brock you got to cool i will say though that if i was goldberg then i would legitimately be offended offended by riddle because even though even though some of it may or may not be true he calls him unsafe says he's a bad worker yeah. whatever Brock, he doesn't really say anything bad about. All he says is he wants to retire. He wants to retire. In kayfabe. So there really shouldn't be that much angst between those two. Now, maybe they bumped into each other and Lesnar expected a certain level of respect. And Riddle, knowing knowing Riddle didn't give him that respect, that's possible. Um, But I would really love to know the behind the scenes on that. I don't want to get too much off topic, but that is something that did happen tonight. And we certainly don't know everything about it, but I do believe it affected the match itself. Going back to the match, though, yeah, yeah. Um, after the big man moment, I loved that they had Ricochet and McIntyre come out back-to-back. The faces kind of working together. McIntyre obviously eliminated Lesnar, as we said, with a Claymore that threw him over the top. But Ricochet getting that low blow, what I loved about that is it continues that storyline and possibly, Jack, sets up a scenario where Ricochet gets a match with Lesnar. Wait, what storyline? Ricochet versus Lesnar. No, man, not that storyline. We're talking a storyline that's five years running now. Brock Lesnar cannot learn to stop getting hit in the balls. Yeah, he doesn't work. He needs to work. This is this is a five year storyline of Brock Lesnar cannot learn this lesson. (laughs) Seriously, it's 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 his it's his fatal flaw. The the second the Undertaker kicked him, he should have went okay, man. But then no, then Daniel Bryan kicks him in the ball. AJ Styles. you want, but you want Lesnar to learn something. 
that an entire feud between Styles and Nakamura was built around, and neither of them ever figured out to wear a cup. And it happened for six months in a row. But you want Lesnar to figure out, oh, yeah, this ricochet guy, he may kick me in the balls. So no, <laughs> so I'm not all about that. But what I will say is, though, I love that they developed and continue developing that mini storyline akin, yeah. akin to Finn Balor Lesnar a year ago or, or whenever that was. Um, I like that they continue developing that storyline while setting up Lesnar and McIntyre. So whether it's Ricochet and Lesnar at, you know, Blood Money in the Sand 5 or whatever the, the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, one of those two, I am excited to see that. From there, though, there was just a lot of meh. You know, I hate using that word, but Miz, Styles, Ziggler, King Corbin, Luke Gallows, whatever. But Jack, the other moment that we can talk about in this world. The return of freaking Edge. Adam Copeland, the rated R superstar. Uh, it had been reported for weeks. Mike Johnson of PW Insider was all over this, had the inside scoop, noted that Edge was in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, reportedly visiting with Dr. Maroon to get clearance. The same guy who is WWE's head trainer cleared Daniel Bryan to return to the ring. And Edge denied it, of course, as he should. Uh, we saw Beth Phoenix earlier in the night. We know Christian is now on backstage and they ended their podcast and it kind of all fit together that this was going to happen. But Jack, Edge wasn't just in the ring. He didn't just return to WWE like he did at SummerSlam for that spear on Elias. This dude wrestled a long time. He entered at number 21 and he was the third to last guy eliminated. He looked a little bit older, a little bit slower, no question about it. Definitely a lot more grizzled, but... Holy crap, was it awesome to see Edge back. That was, hey, shout out to science, man. Because this business almost robbed us of Daniel Bryan, Edge. I mean, when's Paige going to get her clearance? Like, seriously, shout out to these de- these medical advancements here in 2020. No, you know what? It was good to see him back. Uh, I look forward to the Edge-AJ Styles match at WrestleMania. Because that is almost assuredly where they're going, and hell yes. Oh, I thought I was thinking Edge Randy Orton. No, I think I think we're I think we're good, or we're going to do Edge Randy AJ, Triple which threat. would be awesome yeah. in its own right. You continue with everything that would just be if, especially if you want to be a little careful with Edge, you know. Actually, to yeah, start off, that triple threat is probably what is exactly going to happen because you still have the Randy Orton AJ Styles beef. Yeah, that's what I said. If you want to c- keep continuing that and kind of slot Edge in there now, hey. No, we're not. No one's going to argue with that at WrestleMania. And plus, it y'all you know, gives because Edge is still going to. It's been nine years. He's still going to need time to True. ease back into things. Uh no, that was it. God, he he looks great. Is in great shape. Um, I even like the grizzled look. Like he, you know, he of course he's aged in throughout the course of the last nine years, but in a good way. Like he looks grizzled. Yeah, like he's not. Uh, this is it's a, it's exciting. He can only be an asset to that company. Sure, there's certain veterans you don't want to see back, but Edge is more more than welcome. Not on, so much on the same level, but remember I told you weeks ago before he I said John Morrison fits better in 20, 2019-2020 WWE than he did when he left. It's true. And even in two just two weeks, I said Morrison fits better in this era of WWE than he did back then. I think we're going to see the same thing with Edge almost, even though he was critical to that era. He was, yeah. If he could, if, if you know, God willing, he stays healthy and he is back for a little bit, a couple of years, I think he could thrive just as much in this era. 
Absolutely. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's doing, and we don't know anything right now. We're still waiting for details, but maybe something between a Daniel Bryan schedule and a Brock Lesnar schedule where he's there a little bit more frequently, but basically not doing any house shows, only doing TV and maybe gets a couple months a year off. So that'd be cool. His advantage is he's really good on the microphone. Yeah. So he doesn't have to wrestle every week. He he could, you know, he's really good on the mic. So you give him a couple of weeks. If he just wants to talk to promos with somebody, fine. Then step into the ring. Cool. Absolutely. Uh, the match continued from there. And there's not too much really to talk about as we finish up here. I thought Aleister Black kind of got shortchanged a little bit, but yeah, I didn't like that too much. It, but, but it was pretty clear that, you know, Buddy Murphy is the one who eliminated him and, you know, or helped eliminate him. I really did like, if I'm being candid, Seth Rollins coming in at 30 and walking to the ring with his entire faction. Yeah. Because it felt like at the end of this match that had already completely delivered, it suddenly felt like business picked up. As a foursome on a mission, they looked awesome coming into the ring. Pulling people out, beating the hell out of them, helping Rollins eliminate a couple people. It made you think that these guys are going to eliminate everyone until it's Rollins, Reigns, and McIntyre as your final three. And maybe Reigns and McIntyre will take everyone out, and then it'll be those three, you know, in the yeah. finish. Um, but I, I did like, and it made complete sense that the guys they had been feuding with Owens, Joe, and I guess it was Black and Murphy being the other uh, pieces, um, all kind of battled off into the back, leaving Rollins by himself, and Rollins paid for that, of course. It was classic heel tactics from them coming in, and classic heel payback uh, on the way out of the match. So. That was just a capper to me on what was already as perfectly booked a Royal Rumble as I can remember. Like I said, I gave it an A+. Um, you guys may have wanted Owens to win or you may have wanted Keith Lee to win or something a little bit more unrealistic. But we got what I think is fair to say a surprise or at least an unexpected yeah. Royal Rumble winner in Drew McIntyre at the end of a classic all-time Royal Rumble match. That... From the Silver King, A+. Plus. I agree. I cannot disagree with you on this one. Okay, uh, good. You know, here, here's, here's the bottom line. We spend every week on this podcast praising Ra and Paul Heyman for the most part, and one of the things we praise is the mid-card, correct? Absolutely. Every single week. But what we lost sight of is that from the moment he took over Ra, in addition to that, he said, I'm going to make Drew McIntyre a main event superstar. And guess what he did? Yep. He made Drew McIntyre a main event superstar. And I also, I, I want just real quick before we touch one of the things I would like to see at some point during this build, because here we are in that period now between January 27th right now, as we're recording this, it's the next day. <laughs> And April 5th, you got a lot of time. I would like to slot Vince McMahon in here somewhere and call back to that chosen one storyline. Yep. From Drew's first one. Maybe put Vince in a heelish role and say, look, I was wrong about you once. You can't be, you can't be Brock. Or you're just not the chosen one. Or you do the opposite. You do it where Vince McMahon kind of gave up on him after thinking who he was the chosen one. Now he wants to get back in his good graces. And if you and remember, to, well, if you remember what Kevin Owens did to, to McMahon back on SmackDown a year ago or two years ago with the headbutt, you basically have McMahon do the same thing, get huge face pops, and you go from there. 
Yeah, but at some point, I really hope if he's if he's willing to do it, because I know he doesn't like the camera anymore. Like yeah. Vince hates being on camera because of his age and looks and whatnot. But I would I would definitely try to slot him in here somewhere. It's a rare occasion where Vince, it felt like it was overdone, the Becky Lynch, Ronda Rousey, Charlotte storyline where Stephanie was involved and then Triple H was involved. And, you know, Vince then got involved with Kofi. And so and it just felt like it was so overbooked last year. But you're right. This is the situation where it, it, it would it really sense. make a lot of sense. And with 70 days until WrestleMania, um, I don't even want to count how many Raws. You need some storyline progression there. And the good thing is with Brock not being full-time, there's going to be a lot of weeks where Brock's not on the show and maybe Drew's not even on the show. So that's good. That's going to actually make it work on the road to Mania. But there will be other weeks where the storyline needs to progress and they're not going to be able to fight. And, you know, since Brock doesn't do any action on Raw... You're, they're going to have to get creative, and I do hope they they involve them. So I do agree with that. Now, before we jump off this men's Royal Rumble, really quick, because initial reaction: Does Drew beat Brock at WrestleMania? Yeah, um, oh man, that's tough. Now this could change, and that's why I ask right here's, now. Initial here's reaction. the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, Brock's had the title since like October at this point. Yes. So I'm counting on my fingers. So it's like going to be like seven months, six months. Um, you know, I never trust that they're going to let Brock drop the title. But I do think there is a Cain Velasquez feud to come. Yes. Um, in the new, in the second half of the year, maybe on the road to SummerSlam. And I hope that WWE realizes that Brock does not need the freaking exactly. title to be in a, in a feud like that. So if you're going to invest this much in Drew, as long as nothing changes and he keeps holding up his end of the bargain, which he totally has to this point, then I do think there's a title change at WrestleMania. Agree, and you took the words right out of my mouth like great minds. Cain Velasquez, SummerSlam, don't need the title. Slap it on, Drew. Go back to your regulars. Exactly. All right, we have a lot of show and a lot of Royal Rumble left. But before we get to it, folks, a quick pause and a quick word from our friends and sponsors. All right, Jack, back here with our Royal Rumble instant analysis. It was not a huge card, all things considered, but there are some other notable matches that we need to talk about, and we are trying to keep this instant analysis relatively short because Raw is coming up on Monday night. We had the Raw Women's Championship in the co-main event, Becky Lynch defending against Asuka, ultimately winning and retaining her title via submission with the disarm her late in the match. You know, this crowd in Houston was very, very good. Borderline great most of the night. For the women's singles matches, uh-huh. it, was re- it was relatively terrible. Now... On one hand, and we can lump them together because I don't even want to talk about it separately, the SmackDown Women's title match between Bailey and Lacey Evans, Bailey retained the title there. The crowd was horrible. The Crap. match was horrible. It fit. It was fine. This match was good from start to finish. It had a really good storyline and solid build going in. And I thought Becky Lynch and Asuka told a fantastic story. A lot of near falls, a lot of great moves. Uh, Asuka was able to showcase her skill set maybe in a top five match that she's had on the main roster. Uh, and Becky Lynch ultimately won, which was a fan-pleasing move, dodging Asuka's green mist. So I had little to no issue with the match. I gave it an A because I was completely entertained from start to finish, and I thought the crowd did it a massive disservice for the first three quarters of the match. Yeah, the crowd for this one, really, because it, it was it was a great match. Uh, and it, again, like I, I said it a few weeks ago, like, you know, fans clamor for 
storytelling, especially long-term storytelling. With this, like, what more could you ask for? This was a year in the making. And it had, at least for me, a big fight feel going in, and they were sitting on their hands. But me, I watched on my TV. I enjoyed it. The right woman won. Asuka, God, she's crazy talented. I did not to take anything away from Becky, but God damn, is Asuka just crazy talented. And, and I'm not trying to say like that 16 or 17 minutes is particular, particularly long for a featured match, but there's a lot of women's matches that get six, seven, eight, nine minutes. And it's got 17 minutes in a co-main event spot after the universal title. WWE title was not defended on the show. And I thought these two completely delivered the storytelling with Becky basically getting concussed, but forcing the referee to continue the match, accidentally running into him, realizing, being smart enough to realize that Asuka was going to use that distraction to use the miss, kicking her in the stomach, hitting her with the disarmor early in the match, the disarmor over the top rope, um, Asuka being like a total badass the entire time, doing whatever she could to take down Lynch. I can't really find a fault in this match other than the crowd. So, no. I mean, if people graded this a B or a B plus, I think they downgraded it because of the crowd. Simple as that. No, I agree. All right. Hey, we're on the same page tonight. Silver King, Blackjack, uh, Crosby. This is going well. This happens on a great show. It does it happen. Was it was a great show. It, it, it was, it, it was a good show that became a great show. Totally agree. Um, the trip, I kind of want to say it was the triple main event, but the other co-main or the match before it, and I did appreciate WWE booking three strong matches to end the show. You guys know I love that. The Fiend Bray Wyatt against Daniel Bryan. The Universal Championship in a strap match. Jack, the Fiend's best match since yeah. his return. Daniel Bryan, one of the best matches that he has put together. I don't want to say making chicken salad out of chicken shit because it's not. But what we have seen to this point is the Fiend struggle to entertain through two matches with Seth Rollins and one match with The Miz. And I started to wonder whether this character was so freaking good in vignettes and interviews and backstage segments, but just could not translate to the ring. Well, Daniel freaking Bryan, no surprise, your potential greatest wrestler of all time in your eyes, Bryan Danielson, made it work with probably one of the best strap matches I've ever seen, Definitely The Fiend's best match since his return. And again, I am really not trying to overrate this pay-per-view. Another A match from me on the grades uh, in the post-game instant analysis here. Yeah, but it's just, it, it, the story of Bray Wyatt's career. Great promos, great vignettes, crap matches. But how was his match in, I, what was it, 2014 at the Royal Rumble with Daniel Bryan? Oh, that's one that gets remembered as great. Right. This run, crap matches. But the ones with Brian get remembered, there's a common denominator here. And I, I can't, like, I've been watching this dude since 2002. And I'm not, I don't just beat the drum to beat the drum. Like, th- th- this guy's the greatest of all time. It, it's, I, there is just, uh, it, it's crazy how everything Brian touches can turn to gold. To be fair, though, even their first match was not very good. But compared to, like, it was almost like layers. Yeah. Bray was falling. So Brian said, okay, we could pick this up here. Okay. Picked it up a little bit. Then as the feud progresses, there's just little things more and more that get better and better because of Brian. Now, I think, I still think what Bray is doing is great. And in his mind, Bray is a transcendent mind of this generation of professional wrestling. 
He really is. But it's just like with the guy when he gets in the ring with certain, which is why I'm I'm not afraid for him to step into the ring with Roman Reigns because their matches were always good. Roman pulls stuff out of him. Absolutely. Like, they, like their chemistry together is great. That's why I am not worried for this WrestleMania. And this that will be the WrestleMania match. No, no one else is. It's going to be Roman and Bray. It certainly should be. And it, and it does look like the Daniel Bryan feud has run its course, particularly now that they oversold. And I don't say that in a bad way. They oversold how hurt Brian was out yeah. of the match. They left the camera on him as he struggled to stand up, fell down, couldn't get out of the ring, stumbled on the way on his way to the back. They did that on purpose. Either I don't think they're writing Brian out of WrestleMania, obviously. No, or he wouldn't but, have walked out. Correct. But I do think that they're going to give him maybe a month or two off and then kind of figure out a feud for him on the road to Mania. That all of that and, and honestly, maybe they're going to punt on Strowman and have Brian go against Nakamura. I don't know. I would think that would be pretty awesome though. Um but this match, it did start slow, no question about it. They were kind of establishing the way the strap was going to be used. They did not do the four corner rule, which thank freaking God. They did I not. Know. They did not cover the ring in red in in red light. They did not flood it in red light. Thank God. Maybe partially because it was outdoors at a baseball stadium, but they still had lights above the ring. They could have given it a hue if they wanted yeah. to. It didn't need it. Uh, these two worked in a, a tremendous match, Jack, and. Once they got, not necessarily to the finish, but the second half of the match, it was another 17-minute match, and they traded running knees and Sister Abigail reversals and mandible claws. Um, there was the little bell lock spot with the strap uh, around That the one could have baited some people in. It did, and then the, the mandible claw choke slam for the pin. So smart, because the mandible claw wasn't working. He kept getting out of it, trying to lock him in submission maneuvers because Brian was so smart. So Bray basically had to combine his ferocity with the submission in one to kind of be finally beat this guy and win the match. It was as good of a match as The Fiend can have. I think even if he does do a great match with Roman at WrestleMania, which is, again, is just our expectation. We don't know anything. Um, it would be as good. I don't necessarily think anything will eclipse this. But, man, you know, going again, at this point in the show, right before this match, especially – Coming out of the Bailey-Lacey Evans match, I didn't think the show was bad, but it was a B-minus, C-plus show. It wasn't anything spectacular. This told me, hey, uh, wake up. You might be in for something, you know, over the final three matches here. And we certainly were because that was that was the jumping off point for probably one of the greatest closing stretches to any WWE pay-per-view we've seen. I can't remember. Yeah. It was really up there. And, and um, how many WWE pay-per-views have we been sitting there in that stretch going, oh, God, just please end the show? Well, we've even had WrestleMania, as BC and I have talked about previously, where they start so good. And, yeah. we're, like, and we're like, this is the chance to be an all-time WrestleMania. And then it falls off a they cliff. Fall, it fall off the cliff. <laughs> this was really not, not the opposite, because the, the start of the show was not bad by any means. But it just kept getting better, with the exception of the SmackDown Women's Championship match. It kept getting better. To the point where I, by the time the Royal Rumble ended, I just sat there and I was like, did I book that? Like, did, our, go ahead. Speaking of our man BC, he conveyed a message to me during the show via, via SOS telegram that he okay. enjoyed the Bailey Lacey Evans match. I'm going to talk to him about that in further detail in the next coming days because I'm worried about him. Yeah. I'm worried have- about his state of mind because when he said that to me, I kind of just dropped everything I was doing. I took a walk outside. I said, Brian, I'll be right back. I'll, I'll answer you in a second. 
you know, we'll get to take a walk around the block after that. Yeah, I got to talk. We got to talk about this. We don't need we don't need to talk about the match. Uh, and a gr- my grades don't really mean anything. I just I happen to do them for CBSSports.com. I gave it a D plus. I thought it was horrid. Her promo um, Friday night on SmackDown, the, the interview with Michael Cole. Was, I disagree with that. Well, you can disagree all you want. Yeah, I, I, I love you that. You can disagree all you want. You're wrong. It's, it was god awful television. Oh, she is terrible as a face. I don't care about her. She's not good enough in the ring to make up for it. She brings Bailey down. The the kid was there, the, the her child, her, her daughter, which I thought was going to play into it somehow. Yeah. And, I, and I know they taunted it, but nothing happened. There was no Sasha Banks at all there, who is the only one of the three I care about right now. There was no Sasha Banks in the Women's Royal Rumble, which we're going to talk about next. She's reportedly injured again. Uh, it was a worthless match for me. It was put in the wrong spot. That should have been a kickoff show match. And they should have taken the U.S. title match, which we'll talk about at the end of this instant analysis. And they should have put it in this spot. Agreed. Moving on. Right, moving on. Women's Royal Rumble. Uh, I thought it was good. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying it was good. The NXT me. Women's Royal Rumble? The NXT Women's Royal Rumble, where you had 12 NXT women, 7 Raw women, 7 SmackDown women, and 4 Legends one of whom was Santino, Santina, Ugh. Morella. Um, again, thought it was a good match. Yes, as Jack said, extremely NXT heavy. Charlotte Flair won with 27 minutes and 19 seconds in the ring. I thought Flair did a great job in the match, Jack. But you know the Silver King always likes to be right. And who entered at number 30 but my girl Shayna Baszler? And what did she do? She proceeded to eliminate eight of nine women in a stretch that brought her into the final two with Charlotte Flair. Up until that point, things were pretty good between Baszler and Flair and how that match looked to be finishing, even if Flair was going to win. But it got super clunky at the end. It seemed like there was a botched spot. They had to go back to it again for Flair to eliminate Baszler. Yeah. And it just kind of put a sour note on a match that was, again, good, but not great. And it's, again, another op- another situation where you have a big featured women's match and the other obviously i'm talking about uh, wrestlemania here with rousey's shoulder being up with a finish really kind of soured me on the match as a whole yeah but you know i said it a few weeks ago on this show i said it wouldn't sh- I, I didn't pick her but i said it wouldn't shock me if charlotte got the win because she sure. needs that on the resume that was what i said on this show <clears throat> it was a few weeks ago I said, you know, we got all these, we're racking up these world title wins so she can eventually get to her dad, but they got to put that Royal Rumble win on the resume. So when we talk about her five, 10 years from now, you know, as the greatest women's wrestler of all time, which is, you got to have that on there. And I mean, you know, botch finish aside, it makes sense to do it this year. You know, she'll, she'll go after Becky, obviously. She's not going to pick Bailey. I don't know. I, I really don't think she's going to pick Bailey. Unless, I mean. I, I, what, think she'll, I think she'll pick Becky, but how often? We gotta, I, I got to stop seeing them. There's other women. Well, I, I want to see Baszler and Becky. I don't hey, really hey, you know what sucks about, really sucks, Adam, about this? What really, here, her, what are her two choices? Bailey and Becky right. Lynch. What did you just say to me? Really sick of this. Yeah, I am. Adam, would you love, and don't, 
don't take this out of context. I'm just saying person to person. Sure. Wouldn't you love Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley? Absolutely. Over those two? Absolutely. Love it. That's why I I jokingly, but you know what? Maybe it's not so much of a joke. I said, hey, Charlotte, challenge for the NXT title. It's not a bad, I mean, it's not a bad idea by any means. It it would take a lot of, ah, man, that that, that would take a lot of Vince. (laughs) Like, that's a lot of Vince. That's why I said, like, don't take it in the context of Charlotte's going to go to NXT. Of course. No, no, I understand. But but I'm just saying it would take a lot of convincing for Vince even to, to consider something like that. But you're right where it's a unique, fresh matchup. That's why I wanted Baszler to win because I wanted Baszler, Becky to be unique and fresh. Um, you know, WWE is in this strange spot with their women's division right now where they want to continue relying on the four horsewomen, which is great because they are very good. But Sasha is always injured. Um, Becky is currently on this run where she's the top person in the company. And we've seen so much of Flair and Bailey. And I'm also going to include, even though she's not a four horsewoman, Bliss, that we're just tired of all them at the same time. WWE has not done enough to build up Sonya Deville or Mandy Rose or Carmella or any of these other women, with the exception of Asuka, who's doing great, but she's in a tag team and they're champions right now. No, I mean, this is two years in a row now. This company employs Candice LeRae, for Christ's sake. Yeah. This company employs Candice LeRae. Well, it's not just Candice LeRae. Oh, it's just plenty. No, okay. Candice is my. This company pays Candice LeRae a damn paycheck. My point is, there's a lot. There was a lot of women. Were a lot of women in this match. Bianca Belair had a great standout moment. That was yes, yeah, seven yeah, eliminations. WWE saying eight, it was seven. Um, it was a very good match, and it showcased the talent that WWE has on its women's roster. But they got to figure out a way to start integrating some of these other women in on the brands themselves, and that need to come in from NXT and get this roster churning and get some new faces as champions. And get things exciting. There was no Nia Jax tonight. Naomi had a really, really nice spot, but was basically forgotten about later in the match. It was just, yeah, frust- it was ultimately frustrating. I got to tell you, Adam, I, I'm i not on board with 70 days of this Charlotte Becky bullcrap. And I, and I don't, want her, to, and I don't want her to falter back and forth on, on who she's going to choose and whatever. I'm really curious to see if they had plans for Sasha. If so, what they are. But... You know, you guys know my opinion. I love Becky. I think Charlotte's great. I think Bailey's extremely talented. Sasha is the the one of the four. That's why you and know, she's there the was, least used, and she's always injured. And it's there awesome. was a part of me tonight that almost thought Oscar was going to beat Becky, mm-hmm. and what they were going to do, which I which I was talking myself into because I was like, now wait a minute, the story with Charlotte and Oscar is really really good. It is. If Ronda Rousey comes back, you don't have to have a title per se between Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch. It could just be the two want to beat the hell out of each other. Yeah, absolutely. So that's I was talking myself into that. And then when Becky, well, I was like, well, all right, there goes that idea. But I was like, well, you know what? That actually makes sense because there doesn't need to be a title between uh, Becky and Ronda. There doesn't, just like there doesn't need to be a title in any Lesnar match. WWE has success building feuds without titles occasionally, but they refuse to do it with their top stars. And it's getting frustrating. They did it successfully last year with Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre at WrestleMania. And you know, it is interesting with Reigns and McIntyre being the final two. I wouldn't be surprised if 
McIntyre does win, if they build back up to Reigns McIntyre two years from now, that would be pretty interesting. Speaking of Reigns, we had Reigns against Corbin in the Fall Scout Anywhere match, which opened the main show. We don't think we need to go into too deep of a talk about it. It was pretty clear how that match was going to play out. Uh, the Usos and obviously uh, Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler getting involved. Long story short, I thought it was really entertaining. Uh, it was a good, what seems to be blow off to the match, considering Reigns and Corbin did not interact in the Royal Rumble itself. I hope. And I love that they ended it on top of the Astros dugout. Uh, that was cool. Rain, Rain, it, was a, it was a really smart idea. There were tons of fans. They loved it. And I, maybe, like you said, when he entered, he didn't get a ton of cheers. I didn't notice that. He got a ton of cheers when he won the match. Yes, he did. Yeah, he won them over. And I really, I'm curious to look back. I'm not going to do it till tomorrow because I'm too damn tired. But especially on that dugout, there are probably some iconic shots of Roman Reigns. Absolutely. Standing on top of that dugout. Because Roman Reigns, when all is said and done, there's going to be people putting him on WWE Mount Rushmore's when he's, because this guy is even close to done and God knows what's coming. There's going to be some iconic shots in there of him on top of the dugout because the way that the arena was, or the stadium, I should say, was set up was the dugout was in between where fans were sitting on the floor and where fans were sitting in the stands. So when Roman's throwing his hands up like he usually does, he's just surrounded with people going nuts. I can't wait to see the pictures that come out of it. Yeah, the pictures are going to be fantastic. It, it was really great. The Usos were really good coming in and doing that high-risk maneuver off the scaffolding was really cool. Reigns with the two Samoan jo- drops into the announcer tables. It was brutal. It was a really good match, and it was counter to our expectation, which was that Corbin was going to win that match and Reigns was going to win, win the Rumble. Instead, Reigns won the match, and neither of them won the Rumble, which, good booking for me. Surprising. I, 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 I don't mind when I can predict but I also love being surprised. And that's I hate to tell people, but Baron Corbin is turning into a very good professional wrestler. Not turning into. He is a very Sorry. good professional wrestler. He's a very good wrestler, I, and he's a very good heel. Sorry, folks. Like, he is. He is. He, you, you might see. I think he's still he's still a little bit of a, but he's turning into a very good professional wrestler. And I know sucks to hear it, people, but he is. Two other matches on this show. Both were on the kickoff show. We had Andrade beat Humberto Carrillo. Uh, to retain the United States Championship. Very simply put, really good luchador match. Um, Lucha Libre match, I should say, between two luchadors. Uh, I like the finish a lot because it kept um, Carrillo strong while giving Andrade a big win over him without interference from Zelina Vega. I'm always so sick of her always interfering to help him win every match. That match should have been on the main show. I told you it should have been after the Women's yeah. Royal Rumble and the SmackDown Women's Title match should have been on the kickoff show. I don't care about the PC stuff of having a women's match on the kickoff show. You can do that as long as you also have women's matches on the main card. And they could have booked probably another women's match that was a non-title match that would have been better on the main card. But this was very good. I gave it a B plus. I love when Andrade does the three amigos. Um, and I just thought they worked extremely well together. A lot of near falls. It was a classic, you know, Lucha Libre match uh, in WWE. And I thought they delivered yeah, you, this hindsight, hindsight being 2020, because I, I know they're like their job is hard booking these shows. So you never know. But this should have been on the main show. Absolutely. And then the first match of the night, the final match we're going to talk about, Sheamus beat Shorty G uh, via pinfall. Right. It, it was nothing. Gable got more offense than I expected. Um, I thought there was a chance Gable would win and that Sheamus would just beat the absolute crap out of him on SmackDown. They didn't do that. They had Gable look decently strong, but then just eat a bro kick and get pinned one, two, three. It's strange because they're giving Gable a push. 
They're giving him a character. They're giving him a, a, a John Cena-esque mantra that, you know, height doesn't matter. and doesn't matter your size. You can still overcome adversity. The difference between the booking of him and John Cena is John Cena overcame adversity. And John Cena won matches and got cheered by the crowd. And Gable is out there looking like a dork, basically. And I love this guy. So I didn't expect much different, but I was still disappointed. Uh, I mean, it was what it was. It's just, it, it, I get why, I guess to a point, I guess why Seamus targeted Shorty G in his return. You know, he's doing those promos about the, the entire roster is soft and I'm back. But I, something, and I'll figure it out before we start doing it. Something's missing from this whole feud for me. I don't know what it is. Something's not right. It did, lo- and you know, I I express I love Sheamus to death. Sheamus is one of my favorites. Love Sheamus. But, I do but, as I do as well. But all of his promos were about shaking up SmackDown and making this big it making this big impact. And then he picks on the smallest guy. In, yeah, I in, think that might have been Sheamus's promos. There it is, Adam. I think Sheamus's promos almost led you to believe that he was going to go after upper mid card, maybe even the Fiend. Yeah, at some point or Reigns. And, and, yeah. We both love Chad Gable, but when he targets Gable, you're like, oh, that's what you meant? Right. Like if he went after Strowman or Reigns or yeah. some of those guys that are on that on that roster or Miz when he was a face, for example, which or, is a glare- or, or, or Daniel Bryan again. All which of is that a works. glaring difference, Adam, between SmackDown's mid card and Raw's mid card. If and- Gable was on Raw's mid card, it'd be a lot better. And all of SmackDown's booking and all of Raw's booking, which we've talked about decently ad nauseum. So, Jack, let's close on this. Um, like I said, early in the show, up through that women's title match, the SmackDown women's title match, I was kind of at like a C-plus for the show. I thought it was a fine Royal Rumble. I was worried it wouldn't deliver. Those final three matches, I mean— Took it home, baby. I'm kind of wanting. I don't. We. I don't know the last time I've done this, dude. I kind of want to give it like an A minus. I'm on that B plus A minus grade for the entire show. Swing me one way or the other. Where are you, guys? I mean, noted WWE not hater, but not lover either. Like Will Ospreay called that the greatest Royal Rumble match he's ever seen. That's the main event, though. I mean, he no. It's like overall. That was an entertaining show. I would probably migrate B plus. Yeah. I just think the first half was not that it was so weak, but it wasn't strong enough to allow the latter third to propel it to an A. Also, can we I, I think this is the pattern. Let's keep doing this baseball stadium thing. Baseball stadium thing's great. It is so awesome. A, a comment I will make and we'll talk about in more in depth on Tuesday's show is I loved AEW Dynamite this past week because of the atmosphere. And I got a lot of that, but a far higher quality from WWE. The baseball stadium Royal Rumbles are fantastic. Honestly, I would love if they did it with SummerSlam, but I guess it's tough because of baseball season, you know, being at the same time. But they should figure out something unique they can do with SummerSlam to give it this type of feel. Because right now, WrestleMania feels like the number one show and Royal Rumble feels like the number two show because this was so different, not not from last year or anything, but from the other pay-per-views. Yeah, because so unique, not overproduced. It was a really damn good show from a production standpoint. Yeah, problem with SummerSlam is not only are you in baseball season, 
but you're also in NFL preseason, so you can't really snag an NFL stadium either. True. So that's where it's tough. But I, yeah, I, I mean, SummerSlam does deserve to have that stadium feel. But no, please, please continue to do the baseball stadiums for these Royal Rumbles because two years of this is awesome. Or just even if it's a massive arena like the Superdome versus just Barclays Center for SummerSlam. I, I don't want that anymore. Uh, but we have gone on long. Uh, that's our full WWE Royal Rumble instant analysis from the Silver King and Blackjack Crosby. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Silverstein Adam, at Jay Crosby CBS, at State of Combat. And by the way, I talked about Mamba mentality. I'm talking about going into 2020, the new attitude. Anyone I had any issues with on Twitter, unblock, unmuted. We're starting 2020 completely fresh. DMs are not necessarily open, but my tweets are. Hit me up. I will respond. Um, all issues in the past. We got Mount Rushmore voting coming up. We got the road to WrestleMania 36. We got the Silver King on the horn. You got Jack Crosby here with me. Uh, fun show tonight. Really good Royal Rumble. Um, and I don't have the sound drops. Those will be coming back sooner than later. I promise. But for now, I can leave you with just two words. We out. <laughs>